Listen, we've got a special treat tonight because Pastor Mark is speaking, and I can't wait. So everybody, as loud as we can, let's give it up for Pastor Mark. Come on, we can do better than that. Woo! Come on, a little bit louder. Thank you for serving tonight. Thank you, Pastor. I, you are a blessing. Uh, once again, thank you. It's always an honor and a blessing that I don't take lightly to come before you. And uh, again, a special thank you to Pastor Landon and Pastor Tara um, for facilitating this, for helping me, and uh, it really means a lot. Well, are we ready to continue on in our, our look at 144 hours uh, before um, Easter? Are we ready? Um, as you know, um, Pastor Landon spoke last week, last Wednesday, a week from tonight. And he's, who remembers what he spoke about? Anyone? Here's a test. In the back with that. Yes, Paul. That's right, the triumphal entry. So you have Christ coming in. We have the people kind of uh, recognizing him in a way as their deliverer. And then um, on Sunday, we got to learn about the cleansing of the temple, right? Things were going on there that were inappropriate. He came in, and he kind of took command. Um, so one of the things about that is there were some questions, and that's where we're going to pick up tonight. There were some questions. Who is this kind of itinerant preacher? You know, um, he wasn't attached. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but he wasn't attached to the Assemblies of God. And, and he wasn't Southern Baptist. He wasn't even a part of the Pharisaic uh, community. And he wasn't uh, a Sadducee or any of the others. He was kind of independent. And so there were questions, rightfully so. Why, why who are you? Why are you coming in and doing this? He did have a following. Um, so part of that was legitimate. And so we're going to look at that tonight. Um, so if you want to prepare... Um, we're talking tonight about the authority of Jesus. Who here can speak and attest to the authority of Jesus? But what does that mean? And then I have, are you giving him complete authority in your life? So we're going to try to get through a rather large chunk of scripture, and we may not get through it all, and, and that's okay if we don't. And we're going to start at the end of Mark 11. So Mark 11, uh, verse 27 and we're going to go all the way through 12, and if successful, to 13, up to uh, chapter 13, and uh, just a little bit into chapter 13. So there's several ways, you know, to look at Scripture if, if you, when you read it. There's uh, direct theology, you know, something like um, the Beatitudes, right? You know, um, the Sermon on the Mount. There's also narratives, we find a lot of those in the Old Testament, King David's stories, you know, stories about Samuel and some of these people. And then there, there are the parables as well, right? Last year, I think we, we spent a, a series of Wednesday nights looking at the parables of Jesus. Well, we're going to have kind of all three tonight, but there's another way that you can look at it, and it's kind of a lens that we should be using for, for uh, all the study, and that's the narrative version or how scripture is laid out. And so the pattern that scripture is laid out uh, is very important. It's the context that the, you know, the word is being presented to us. And so that's where we go here. 
Uh, again, this is in the wake of him cleansing the temple, and uh, we pick up uh, what I call an introduction to what we're doing tonight, and we're going to start at verse 27, and I'm reading from the NLT. Again, they entered Jerusalem. Jesus was walking through the temple area. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right to do them? I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. If you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me, he says. They talked among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask why we did not believe John. But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they replied, we don't know. And of course, he didn't answer them either. So there was a couple of uh, observations that I made here about this. Were they questioning him kind of legitimately? Did they really want to know the answers to their questions? Well, they probably had some curiosity. But... You can see the motivation here right in the text. Their motivation was not to know where his authority was. They had already decided that. The religious leaders weren't really looking for an answer. Who gave you the, uh, the right to do them was the question. They were attempting to manipulate the situation. They were not seeking the Messiah or God because they had already found their God, little g. If they could maintain power or the status quo, their value system could remain the same. And so that brings us to point one. Are we seeking Jesus or the status quo? Are we giving Christ the authority to change our values? So our value system, or the way that we live our lives, has to come from the Word, right? It has to come from the Lord. If it doesn't, then we're no better off than the world. And that's what the, the religious leaders here betrayed themselves at being. They weren't really concerned if Jesus was the Messiah. I don't even know if they were really concerned about if he was doing God's work. What they were concerned about is losing their power. And, and we have to be careful about that as individuals. Not necessarily, you know, losing our power, but not accepting the things of the Lord, not giving him the authority but when it's easier to kind of maintain the status quo. You know, that may look different to different people. That may be, um, you know, not going to church in the morning because you're tired or you had to work all night or you had to work the day before. And sometimes it can be even more profound. You know, I'm not um, going to accept this new minister. I'm not going to accept the new songs that we're doing. So we have to be guarded of ourselves. So this, this little passage here serves as an introduction as we go deeper and into chapter 12, into what we go, um, what scholars call the kind of the five um, conflicts or the five uh, confrontations that Christ has with religious leaders. And we're going to try to get through those. So let's go ahead to the first one. And the first one really kind of helps understand what just happened in the end of chapter, um, chapter uh, 11. So we're going to start at verse 1. Then Jesus began teaching them with stories, and this is his parable. A man planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it and dug a pit for pressing out grapes, juice, 
and he built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers, who moved to, uh, and then he moved to another country. At that time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect the shares of crops. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant, but they insulted him and beat him over the head. Then the next servant he sent was killed. Other servant, uh, others were sent, uh, were either beaten or killed, until there was only one left, his son who he truly loved dearly. The owner, fi owner finally sent him, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But the tenant farmer said to, no, to one another, here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body into the vineyard. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard would do? Jesus asked. I'll tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. Didn't you ever read the scripture? And this is again coming from the Old Testament now. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and is wonderful to see. The religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus when they realized he was telling a story against them. They were the wicked, wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the crowd, just like in the previous incident. So they left him and went away. So we see again kind of the same context. Um, he, Jesus is telling us uh, this story, but the religious leaders are, are too afraid to confront him because of the crowd. Now, this story you know, has to do with the Old Testament, has to do with the uh, Israel and, you know, coming up into Christ's time here and how the religious leaders uh, were given everything they needed to to do the mission, but instead of um, responding to the Messiah, responding to Christ, they decided to kill him. But that it was understandable to them at their time because this was a typical agreement that would happen uh, you know, in their community. Tenant farmers, a wealthy person would buy, it could be a Roman even, they would buy the land, they would supply everything they needed for them to do, uh, you know, a job such as, um, you know, the wine and um, lease it out to people and they would go somewhere else. So we can learn a few things. First of all, about the character of God. It tells us of the generosity of God. The vineyard was equipped with everything that was needed. Um, so I'll stop here, and, and um, I had a little bit of experience with this, uh, something very similar. Uh, I work, where I work, is a, it's one of those, owned by one of those multi-conglomerate corporations, and our ownership is actually overseas. And so we got word about a month ago that they were going to come in, and we have an American-like leadership team, and, and they come once a month, but that's you know, lower key. This is the international CEO and, and the owners and all of this. They're going to tour the facility and talk to everyone. And so we were like, okay, we're ready. And it was supposed to be tomorrow. And as it, as it happened, it, they showed up today. I got an email first thing, and they said, it's change of plan. They're going to be there. So everyone's rushing around, right? Kind of actually reminded me of the other story that Jesus told about the rapture, but I don't want to go there and get everybody confused. But I thought, how ridiculous does it sound 
that, you know, a group of us decided to get together and, and take the ownership in the back 40 and, and do away with them and, hit you know, a little far-fetched. But there's actually a law that was contemporary to this text and it said if a, a business or a piece of property uh, had no owner, then the tenants or the people living there or working it would become the owners. So the story actually, what the people were understanding is that because the owner, which is of course the father, which represents God, has been away so long, he must not be alive anymore, right? We have that in our culture every day. You know, God has been gone so long, it's been so long since we've heard of him, he, he must not be real, right? And so Jesus comes, or in the story, the son comes, and they say, well, if the owner is not alive and we kill the, the only child, then we will rightfully own the company, right? So, of course, this is wicked, and I know we wouldn't do that. Um, the parable also tells us something about Jesus. It tells us that Jesus regarded himself not as a servant only, but as a son. The son carried the full authority of the father. And it tells us something about humanity, or us. They must have thought the, uh, the owner was too far away to act, as I said earlier. We have to be careful about this. Now, obviously, we're not going and killing anyone, or not going to kill God, but for point two, I have, are we seeking Jesus or his gifts and his grace? Are we living our lives in accountability to him? You know, a, a, a more familiar story might be the teenage child that wants the keys to the car, they want uh, some money, they want their freedom, they want to be able to go and do what they want with their friends, but when it comes time to get up at 6 o'clock on Saturday and to go work, or when it comes time, you know, report card time, they don't uh, necessarily want to participate in that as much. Uh, what we owe the Lord for his salvation is our lives. So uh, salvation is free, we know that. But we also know that there's always a price. And that price was Christ's death. But really there's two deaths because we're called to die to ourselves, right? We don't have to pay the physical price. We don't have to, um, you know, die for our sins. But Christ does require that we follow him and that we give up ourselves. When he said take up our cross and follow him, we were watching The Chosen, and I love how they have the crosses in the background as Jesus was walking into Jerusalem. It was very evident in the, in the imagery that he knew what was going on, right? What did a cross represent? Represented corporal, corporal punishment. It represented death. He knew he was going to the cross. So why would he use that language? Take up your cross. Be prepared to die for me. And indeed, the disciples did, and, and there are Christians in some places in the world that are required. But, but that's not us today, hopefully, here in, in Frostproof, in Polk County. Um, you don't get stoned when you go to Publix and lift the Lord's name up. But 
Sometimes it's easy to forget that we are to die to ourselves. We want to do our own thing. Our own priorities take the place of his. Uh, a better analogy might be, if you want to follow Christ, we need to take our lethal injection to our old selves. We need to take our electric chair up. So we're going to continue on. The next passage we have are the, the taxes um, for Caesar, and that's Mark 13, 13 through 17. And this talks about Jesus' authority over our lives. So again, coming right after what we've looked at, we see that there's some responsibility for serving Christ, right? It's not just the privileges and now some responsibility. And so I know you're going to say, well, what, paying taxes? Well, the scripture does tell us that we should, you know, pay our taxes, and, and that's a good thing, but that's not the main point. So let's get into it a little bit more. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus. Again, there's the trap, there's the motivation, right? They weren't really interested in truth or what he had to say. Uh, to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. They start with flattery. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin, and I'll tell you. When they handed him the coin, he asked, whose picture is stamped on it? Caesar's, they said. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them. So, here again we have another trap laid for Jesus. I think we have a picture of the coin uh, that's probably going to go up on the screen. If not, it's on your handout. So, several things about this. All money in, in ancient times, and in a way, uh, modern times as well, uh, did a couple of things. Whenever a conqueror came in, a, a king or something like that, they would strike their own money, right? And it usually have their head on it. And it would, it would signify that this is now my territory, it also, wherever that money was good at, it signaled some of the influence of that country, and that's certainly um, the way that it is today. There is a big um, concern that the United States dollar will be replaced by the yen or some other currency as the leading one in the world. And so that's a very important concern even for today, because wherever that dollar or that money is respected, then that's a sign of strength of the country. The other thing is, is that all money, at least in these, this time, actually belonged to Caesar. And in this case, we're talking about uh, Tiberius. Uh, they were all called Caesar. It was like uh, emperor, or we call king. So because it belonged to them, it was, it was already theirs. And so we can learn some things from this. A government can provide money, it can, it can have their own influence. And when we use it, we're participating in that system, right? 
we're participating in this worldly system. And that's not inherently sinful, but it's not necessarily the way that it was meant to be either. But there's a higher way, right? So the writing on this coin, that's Tiberius's head or face. The writing actually says the divine son of Caesar. All the, uh, all the Caesars thought themselves divine. So what Jesus is, of course, saying is, you can pay, go ahead and give the government what is already theirs, but don't give him what's God's. And what is God's? That's you. That's your full being. You have a responsibility, I have a responsibility. And all people in, through time have a responsibility to him based on the fact that they were made in his image. We are all in, made in his image. And it, we go back to Genesis. Uh, both male and female were created in God's own image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This idea is to give uh, to the state what is already theirs, but humans themselves belong to God. So did you hear the redundancy even in language there? To make no mistake, both men and women, because at that time, women could be considered less than human. Uh, but it's very specific, male and female. We're both made in God's image. So point three that we come to, are we submitting to God's authority over our lives? Do our lives represent him, his image or ours? You know, um, a friend of mine talked to me the other day, and he saw some of my pictures of my children online, and he said, uh, you can really tell that they're yours. You probably heard that in your own family. You look like your father, or you look like your mother, or your child looks like you. Well, how would it be if instead of that we heard, you know, you really look like Jesus? That's what it's to be. That's the point. We're made in his image, and the world is to look to us. But there's something more even. Even in our sinful state, before we accept Christ, even the world still has his image on them. They're not redeemed, they're not saved, but they're still made in his image, and we need to remember that you know, when we're talking to them. So, um, so the last two we're going to kind of combine uh, because they kind of jump around. And uh, we're going to go with the, uh, the first and the third and then the second and the fourth. Uh, incidents. So this is the discussion about the resurrection and whose son is the Messiah. And that's in Mark 13, 18 through 27, and then verses 35 through 40. And this talks about Jesus's authority in spiritual matters. I'm not going to go because of time and read all of that, but essentially there's two conversations here. Again, they were trying to trap Jesus. They're asking him questions. One was about the resurrection. So you've heard of the Pharisees. This group is called, a smaller group called the Sadducees. And you can remember who they are because they were sad, you see. But the reason they were sad was because they didn't believe in the bodily resurrection of, in the, of, from the dead for those that follow God. So that's why they were sad, because there would be no resurrection. So, so this group came up with this, this, this line, and it, it sounds a little far-fetched, but it actually had some truth to it. Moses told them 
um, that if a man died, uh, his wife, his brother, the man's brother was to marry the wife. Part of this was a welfare system because they didn't have an organized welfare state system like we do. So this took care of the woman so that she would have enough food and be able to, you know, to live. Noticed in the story, too, children aren't mentioned. There's, it specifically says that she doesn't have children because that would lock her into that particular husband. So she goes through seven husbands and they all die. I, that would be kind of concerning to me, but that's not the point. The, the point of the story is then when you get to heaven, whose spouse, whose wife is this going to be? There's going to be seven guys. Jesus is like, no, no, you don't understand. Not at all. In fact, uh, I do want to read this part, and it's verse 24. Jesus replied, You mistake. Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Let that never be said about us. Can you imagine having Jesus say to you, your problem is that you don't know Scripture and that you don't know the power of God? And, I mean, I, I, I fall guilty to that sometimes myself. The point here was that they, they didn't know Scripture and they didn't know God. They were, again, too concerned with their own um, kind of ideas and tradition. The second story is kind of similar, and it goes with it, and it talks about uh, whose son is the Messiah, and um, there is this thought that Jesus would be subservient, or the Messiah would be subservient to David, because David was held in such high esteem, and Jesus goes back to the Old Testament, he says, no, no, look at here in the scripture again, and see how it flows from the previous, they didn't know the scripture, it says, David, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, my Lord, sit at my right hand. So, obviously, the Lord is, you know, above David. And, of course, that is the, was the Hebrew word that we would look at as, as Yahweh. So, what can this tell us? Because these, again, are kind of, we're not worried about who's going to be married to who in heaven, and, and we know that God is, is divine. So, point four would be, are we submitting to Jesus' authority in matters of the Spirit? Are we submitting to, or are we submitting to our ideas and traditions of spiritual matters? There's a lot of fake news out there, right? There's a lot of things that, that can be concerning. So, sometimes we're presented with things, maybe in Scripture, maybe we're presented with things uh, by people who are, are from, from God, or we think they're from God, and, and sometimes we're not comfortable with those. And so I just want to encourage you that, that when you come to church, you can, you can trust what Pastor Landon is saying. You can trust what the church is teaching. You can also trust your, the scripture. And, and let me give you a, a verse that, that will help. It's from Acts 15, uh, verse 28. And this is Paul's reply to uh, Christians that have been converted that were told that they needed to do a lot of things that they didn't need to do. Uh, it says, uh, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than those few requirements. So again, this is kind of in a, in a different um, talking about what Christians need to do in the early church. But we're talking about inspiration, right? We're talking about God's will. Paul said it, sounds, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, and to us. So how does this apply to us? 
you know, if I don't know where everyone is tonight in their, in their walk with Christ and in their Christian experience. You know, some of us come from other types of churches. We believe in this church in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in speaking in tongues. We believe um, the gift of prophecy. We believe in words of knowledge. We believe uh, that God is still the God of the book of Acts. He's still the same God that he was in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But it's okay if you have doubts. It's okay if some things seem kind of different or odd. So I would encourage you to, to pray, to read the scriptures, and then if it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to you, then you know you need to move forward. And then the last point we'll go to. Not too far. Again, there's two stories here we're going to look at. Um, the most important commandment and then the widow's offering. We're actually going to back up a little bit. Um, there's a small passage here um, in 38. And, uh, and Jesus says, Beware of the teachers of religious law. Uh, they like to parade around in robes and received uh, gifts, gift, uh, and they walk in the marketplace. And they love to seat of honor in the synagogue, and they head to the tables of banquet. Yet they shamelessly cheat the widows out of the property and then uh, pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. So Jesus is already now speaking in, in this passage to be very careful of the scribes. And then we're going to move here to, to these other two passages that are, again, right in the same chapter. And there are, they are... Um, the widow's offering, and uh, Jesus speaking about the future. So we remember the widow's offering. She, uh, Jesus took up a spot right next to the offering bag, and the different people were coming in and on full display making large contributions. And then you have this, this little widow lady, and she has two coins. And uh, that was important, it, it, especially with the Romans, because it, what it was able to show them is that she could have kept one coin for herself. Um, because it was the smallest, you know, denomination. And Jesus stopped the crowd. He said, you know, this woman here is given more than all of the others. And I hear that a lot in reference to tithing and reference to giving. And, and, and that's good. It certainly, Jesus certainly does affirm that here. But that may not be the totality of what's going on in the passage. Because, again, it goes right into the um, story with the lawyers. And they ask, what is the most important Commandment. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might, which again is directly from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. But he, he goes on to say, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, both of these schools of thought had been going around in the in kind of the community for years. You have some rabbis that would teach, you know, love God, and then you have some that would say, love your neighbor. But this is the first time in recorded history that they were put together. And so how does that impact us with what we just read? What does that have to do? Well, it's very interesting that if you go into the very beginning of 13, and it does we go into a long kind of passage about the end times and destruction, but what is the first thing that we, that we uh, run into in 13? It's 
the disciples are walking through the temple and, and they, they make a comment. They look, Jesus, look how beautiful these pillars are. Uh, takes somebody, usually a lifetime, uh, um, a, a person, a worker would spend an entire lifetime carving one out of granite. Look at this, how exquisite this is. This is so beautiful. And Jesus says, this is all going to be gone. This is going to be flattened. This is going to be destroyed. So what does that have to do with what we're, what we're talking about? The scribes that he was just talking to didn't take a salary. Instead, they usually kind of uh, extracted money from the poorer class. And, and that's, that's what they did. But that's not what God wanted them to do. Yes, the priests were to, the Levitic, Levitic, uh, Levites were to, you know, receive a salary. But it had gotten out of hand. And in many cases, uh, poor people and widows were, were suffering. The Bible speaks of the poor 372 times. And if you want to do a study, do a study in either the Old Testament, New Testament, or both, about the poor, about the, the, the widows, the orphans. This is the primary, one of the primary concerns uh, that the Bible presents and one of the reasons that Jesus came. What does it say? And Luke, I came to preach good news to the poor. Uh, a look back at 1240, uh, when we'll look at it in the NIV, kind of helps place this in context for us. He's again talking about the scribes. And it says, they devour widows' houses. For a show, they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished severely. So we have, you know, we have a contrast here. Why are we learning about tithing in the middle of in the, you know, this chapter on authority? What does it have to do with Easter? Why are we learning about any of this? And then you have you know, Christ saying that this place is going to be destroyed. Both of them make mention of, of dwellings or, or facilities or, or buildings. What was going on was not what he wanted to. And I don't want to confuse anyone. I'm not saying that, that if, uh, poorer people should not be paying tithe. They shouldn't honor the Lord. This was something that's far extreme going, that was going on. So what is the point that we're looking at? And I, so I have point five. Are we submitting to Jesus' authority in matters of relation? Are we submitting our thoughts and attitudes towards others to him? So just as the, the, the religious leaders thought one thing about the, the widow lady, they were obviously wrong, right? The Lord knew, Jesus knew, that she was giving everything that she had. We also need to be careful not to assume that if you're, someone is um, having difficulty financially, that they're going to need to you know, make these great sacrifices. I hear some of these preachers on TV, send your last dollar, send a seed of $80 or $300 or $1,200, whatever they come up with that month, $12. And I can tell you God's not happy with that. That's not his, his role. In fact, it was just the opposite. We're to take care of the poor. We're to take care of the widows and the orphans. And as we do that, I mean, if you think about it, if the church did that to all of the orphans that were out there, we would have an entire generation in the church and looking to the Lord. Are we valuing people based on their intrinsic worth? This goes back to points three and one, right? Are we submitting our lives to God? 
And number one, are we seeking Jesus or the status quo? So are we seeing people? Are we seeing uh, the sinner as someone made in the image of God? Or are we just kind of seeing their sin? And again, that's something that I have to work on, we all have to work on. So that's all I have for this evening. And uh, we're going to break up into our sessions. So if you're over here, we'd love for you to come over and join us at a table. You know, five, four, five, six people is what we probably want to have.